This is the time we release our children and volunteers to Children's Church. We invite you guys to head back in that direction. Those of us that remain, we're just, again, I, I want to be honest, I, I had a whole different direction I wanted to go today, but, but the God, uh, God began to work on me that, hey, we, there was one more aspect, one more thing we need to be reminded of uh, in, in this Sermon on the Mount or concerning this Sermon on the Mount and the, the surpassing righteousness that we've been talking about and that Jesus has called us to. Remember Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, it says, that, uh, that, that unless our righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And we, we talked about the fact that the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these religious people, did what they did out of duty. And they just checked the boxes on Sunday. They checked the boxes on their religious activity. But the rest of their life, the, the, the majority of their life, was lived according to their own ways and for their own desires. And, and they looked good on the outsides, as, as Jesus said, uh, your, your whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but dead on the inside, full of dead men's bones. And so he's, he's calling them to this surpassing righteousness. And, and, and the key to this righteousness is love. We, we, we talked about that, that, that. That God is calling us to a love relationship with him. And, and Jesus was asked one time, what is it, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. Or all the law and the prophets hinge or hang on these two things. So the... The, the way that we can develop this surpassing righteousness is in a love relationship with God. The only thing that will motivate us to live under these, the, these heavy, <laughs> difficult requirements, this, this standard of, of living that is holy and righteous, the only way we can even attempt to achieve that is because of our love for God. The only way we can deal with people who mistreat us and, and respond to them with love and with kindness, the only way we can do that is because we love God. And because I love God, I'm going to love you. Because I love God and I want to honor Him, I'm going to love you. I'm going to demonstrate this love that I've received, this love that I don't deserve, this love that I didn't earn. I'm going to demonstrate that to you in our relationship, as bad as it may be. And so Jesus is calling them to a surpassing righteousness that can only be developed, that can only be received from Jesus Christ. We, we receive the righteousness of Christ when we're saved. But then we're to live out that righteousness in every day of our life. And so uh, what does it look like? And, and as I begin to, to, to think about moving on and what am I going to do next, God kept bringing me back to the fact that we need to understand what love is. Man, our world has got such a skewed idea of what love is. And, and man, the, the devil is really good at taking what God created is perfect and perverting it and calling it the same thing. And, and today, there, there is, the word love is used in so many different ways. The idea of love is used in so many different ways. And, and, and most of the time, it's very manipulative. But the devil has taken what God created, love, and he, he's, he skewed it, perverted it, and, and just messed it up. And then 
humanity buys into it lock, stock, and barrel, wholeheartedly. And so today, if we're going to experience this love relationship with God, if we're going to walk out this love for God, if we're going to love God and love people, then we need to understand and get a, a better understanding. Be reminded, if you already know, what real love looks like. And how can I share this love that I've received from God? How does it look to share that love with other people? How do I know if I'm doing it right? Well, God's wise, God's good, and God knows our shortcomings. So he gave us through Paul, the Holy Spirit guided Paul through what does love look like. And today I want us to, to look at for just a minute 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because in this passage, Paul reminds us through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, God leading Paul's instruction to the church at Corinth, what real love looks like, what love is, but he also talks about what love is not. Okay? So we absolutely do need to look at and see what is love. But we also need to understand and we also need to have a strong foundation in that what love is not. Okay? And so we're going we're gonna to look at this love chapter. Just a little bit of, of context and a little bit of background. Church at Corinth, uh, the city of Corinth, is a very wealthy city. It's a, a, a very big city, a large city. Uh, there are people from all over the world, all different religious backgrounds, all different uh, socioeconomic um, levels, and, and man, they're being saved. God is moving, the Spirit is moving, people are being saved, and, and the church is established, and there are all kinds of folks with all kinds of backgrounds and baggage in this church. And they're struggling, just like every other church does. How do we relate to one another? How do we live out this, this uh, uh, religion that we're in? And remember, they're, they're coming from all kinds of religious backgrounds. Now, now me, I've been, a, I've been a Baptist all my life, so I don't have a whole lot to compare with. But man, you've, you've got folks that, that are coming from, from the Temple of Zeus. You're coming from the Temple of Artemis. You're coming from all kinds of different kinds of religions around and worshiping all kinds of gods. And their, their religious background is, you got to do right. Check the list. Make the gods happy. And as long as you make them happy, everything's going to be all right. And, 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 and so if I check the list and I've got more checks in my list than you got in your list, well, I'm doing better than you. And I'm, I'm, I'm more loved by the God than you. Paul is, is coming to them and, and helping them understand that, look, this is a love relationship with the creator of the universe. God has called you to, to be loved by him and to love him and to love people. And they were they, the, the, the church at Corinth, if you read the whole letter of 1 and 2 Corinthians, man, the church at Corinth was a mess. I mean, it's just full of sinful people that are struggling to walk this journey of growing in love and growing in faithfulness to God. And they make messes of it sometimes. Sometimes they do well. And it's just, it's just a struggle. It's, just, it's church. <laughs> it's sinful people trying to follow God together. And we mess up and we're on different, um, um, we have different hang-ups and different struggles and, and we're, we're at different parts or different areas of our spiritual walk and growth and, and it's, it can create tension. 
And so Paul is dealing with some of the sins that are going on in the church and the struggles that people have, but now he's dealing with the, the, the sin, basically, of, of, of spiritual pride. And this is something that Baptists have to fight against bad because we're really good at, at being prideful as Baptists. But Paul is, is trying to help them see that, look, it's not about what you achieve spiritually, the previous chapter, he's dealing with spiritual gifts and the speaking in tongues. And everybody's, everybody's um, arguing over who's the more spiritual and what's the evidence of me being more spiritual than you are. You know, Well, I'm more spiritual than you because I give more than you do. I'm more spiritual than you because I, I do this. I'm more spiritual than you than because, because you don't do this. And I'm more spiritual than all of you because I speak in tongues. And man, it was just, it was a mess in the church because everybody was looking at, at grading other people according to what they are or are not doing. And Paul is, is trying to help them wade through this and see that, folks, it's not about what you are doing or not doing. Are you loving God? I've told you this before. I, I was a worship leader for about 13 years before I surrendered to the pastorate. I served with a, a, a redneck in Arkansas named Don Phillips. Super guy. Loves Jesus, loves people. And, uh, man, one of my dearest friends in, in the ministry, a father in the faith to me in a lot of ways. But we were having this discussion, as all church staffs do, about, we, you know, we need more people getting involved. How do we get more people doing this? How do we get more people to, to fill up? Man, we need more folks in vacation Bible school. And how do we get more people to serve in a nursery? And we just need more people to do this. We need more people to do that. And Don, in his infinite wisdom, just stopped and said, Guys, we don't have a doing problem. we got a loving problem. If we could just love Jesus more, the doing would come natural. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to help the church at Corinth see. Guys, you don't have a doing problem. You've got a love problem. You've got a misunderstanding of what it means to love God and to be loved by God. You've got a misunderstanding of what it means to love people. And so he begins, uh, after he's talked about the, uh, the, the, this, this spiritual battle or this warfare between spiritual gifts, uh, and, and he settles into chapter 13 and, and this discourse about what love is and what love is not and the importance of love, that it's not the doing that they need to focus on, it's the loving that they need to focus on. And church, I, I just want to tell you, maybe personally you're struggling with, man, I just got to do better. I got I to gotta stop doing this. I got to start doing that. I've got to be more faithful in doing this. I'm just going to tell you, corporately, it's not a doing problem we have. It's a loving problem. But we have a loving problem corporately because we have a loving problem personally. Because see, I, the Bible says that what the individual member of the church is not doing the body of the church cannot do. So if we've got a loving problem corporately, it's because we have loving problems individually. 
So it's not that you need to do, try harder and do more or stop doing some things. What you need to do is just fall more in love with Jesus. And if you'll just love God, He will teach us how to love one another. And He will motivate us to live differently. And so, as, if you will, stand with me. We're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 13. Again, remember the context is talking about spiritual gifts and specifically speaking in tongues. But he says in verse 1, it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Let's pray. Lord God, I do thank you for your great love for us. Lord, this morning I pray for myself. That God, I would just simply fall more in love with you as I think about this great love you've demonstrated for us. That while we were yet sinners, you sent your son to die for us. That you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him, surrenders to him, trusts him, gives their life to him, would not perish and have everlasting life. God, we want to love you more. We want to do better. We want to stop doing the things we don't need to do and we know we shouldn't do. But God, our greatest need is to love you more. To understand your love for us and what it means to love like you love us. So God, today I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds more fully to your love for us. And then just let us reflect what we've received. And see the great transformation that will take place in our hearts, in our minds. And in this church, as we take the gospel to a broken and hurting and a world that desperately needs love of the Father. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Help me to speak it in truth and in love. In Jesus' name, amen. So he's been, Paul has been talking about the gift of tongues and the conf conflict that goes on with who speaks in tongues, who don't speak in tongues, how often they speak in tongues, and, 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 and the, the spiritual pride that is the motivation for, for that argument. And he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. Now what he's talking about here is if I am the most eloquent speaker that the world has ever seen, 
I'm just going to tell you, as a pastor, that's one of the things we try to do. We want to be great communicators. I want to communicate well. I want to tell you. I want to teach you. I want, I want to be a very good preacher. Nothing wrong with that. But he says, if I speak with the tongues of men or the tongues of angels, if, if I'm speaking uh, in tongues spiritually, if I'm speaking in the language of angels, if I get beyond the, the voice of man and I'm speaking the, 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 with the tongue of an angel and it's just amazing and it's spiritual, and he said, but if I don't love, nothing. It doesn't matter how well you speak or what language you speak. I'm just, he says, I, I, I'm just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. It gets people's attention, but it serves no real purpose. It's irritating after a while. It's grating after a while. Uh, it, it may serve for just a few minutes to, to help get your attention to danger or uh, something that's going on. But, but for the most part, if it just bang on a cymbal, just keep banging on a cymbal and keep banging on a cymbal and keep banging on a cymbal, hang on me long, somebody's going to please just shut up. Stop. And that's what Paul is saying. Look, it doesn't matter what language you use. It doesn't matter how well you speak. It doesn't matter if you speak in tongues. If it's not driven by love, if it's not motivated by love, if your life's characteristic is not one of love, he says, ain't going to be long. You're just going to get on folks' nerves. And they're going to stop listening. And he goes through a, a laundry list of, of, of gifts that, that he's talked about earlier. It says, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I, can, if I can dissect Scripture, if I, can, if I can help you understand and tell you to circle this and to highlight that, and I can connect the dots, and man, I can, I'm just spiritually wise, and I can teach all kind of stuff. If it's not motivated and accompanied by and carried by love and, and demonstrated through love, he says, you just, you're nothing. You can be the most spiritual, wise, and, and, and do the, the most amazing things, but if it's not accompanied by and motivated by love, it's nothing. It becomes spiritual arrogance. Anything that, that we do spiritually, anything that we accomplish for the kingdom, anything that we attempt for the kingdom, if it's not motivated by love, then it will always be perverted into spiritual pride. And Paul is telling these guys, look, you're doing a lot of spiritual things. You're doing a lot of good things, but you're doing them for the wrong reason. And they have been perverted from things that honor God into things that you're trying to honor yourself with. And they've developed into spiritual pride. And church, we've got to be careful of that. Because, man, I, I've, I've heard way too many times, well, I've done all this stuff around a church. You need to, wait a minute, why'd you do it? Well, I give that such money, and if, if I don't get what I want, then I'm going to quit giving. Why are you giving? Well, I, 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 I've been teaching Sunday school for 45 years, and y'all need, 
well, why are you teaching? If what you're doing for the kingdom becomes a, a means of you getting ahead or a means of, of you getting your way or a means of, of you getting spiritual clout, Paul says it's useless and you have done nothing for the kingdom and God will not honor it. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 and 22, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but it's the one who does the will of my Father. What's the will of the Father? To love God and love people. But they all say, Lord, didn't we, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we all do all kinds of miraculous things? Didn't we do all kinds of religious stuff in your name? He said, yeah, but I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So you can teach Sunday school all your life and doing it for the wrong reasons to build spiritual cloud in the church to make sure you get your way when the, when the vote comes and the discussion happens on what's going to happen and what we're going to do. Or If you're doing it for that, It's not going to count for anything. And Paul is reminding the church, if, if, if our doing becomes a source of our pride, whatever we do, if it becomes a source of pride and a checklist and a measure of how somebody else is doing, he says, it is wrong and it is useless. Because unless it is motivated by love, unless it's done out of a love for the Father and a love for people, he says it is absolutely useless. I don't care what it is. You can give all your possessions to the poor. You can even give your body to be burned. But if you haven't done, if you haven't had love, it profits you nothing. God's still going to say, Depart from me, for I never knew you. And so he's, he's telling us in this very first part the importance, the supremacy of love. Why love is so important? Because if love doesn't motivate everything that we do, if love doesn't cause us to act the way we act, if, God, if love doesn't cause us to, to, to do our spiritual disciplines, it's useless. So love is the most important but then he gives a description of what does love look like. If, if love is so important, how do we know what love is? How do we know if I'm loving and how am I know if I'm being loved? Young people, you need to hear this. Adults, you need to hear this. Church, we need to hear this. How do you know what love is? How do you know how well you're loving? How do we know how well we are being loved? Because I'm just going to tell you, the world will tell you that they love you and it doesn't look anything like what we're about to look at. Young ladies, guys will tell you they love you, but it won't look anything like we're fixing to look at. Because it's not about you, it's about them. Guys, girls will tell you that they love you, but it won't look anything about what we're about to look at. So true love, not just talking about love for God, not just talking about agape love, but all love. This is, this is what's produced when love is the motive of our life. 
This is how our life will be lived. These things will begin to be developed more and more. Not saying you're going to be perfect at it. Not saying that you're not going to do things out of anger and, and you're not going to mess up. But, but it will begin to develop these characteristics in your life and in your relationships. And true love will always look like this. And so when you hear, I love you, or they love you, this is the standard by which you determine if they're real, if it's real love or not, or if it's lust, or if it's manipulation, or what. It says love is patient. Now, as we read through these, I want you to see that this is how God treats us all the time. This is the kind of love that we receive from God when he says, um, before you, or while you were yet sinners, I loved you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the kind of love we receive from God. And this is the kind of love that that relationship should produce in our lives as we share with other people. To love God and then to love people. We love people like God's loved us, okay? And so if we're going to love correctly, we need to understand the love of God correctly. It says love is patient. Love is long-suffering. That's what it says. Doesn't give up quickly. Doesn't drop you at the turn of a hat. It says love is patient. Love is kind. Love is sympathetic is what that means. Love is not harsh. Love is not hateful. Love is not destructive. Love is kind. Love uses kind words. Love uses kind actions. Love is not hateful. Love is not jealous. Love doesn't revolve around me. And love doesn't, when you get jealous, it's because you think they're not responding to you like you're responding to them. Love isn't jealous. Love allows you to have other relationships. Love is trusting, in other words. Jealousy comes from distrust. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love isn't prideful. The, the root of all bragging and arrogance is self. Pride. It's about me. If, 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 if you are the standard by which everybody else should act, it's not love. Love does not act unbecomingly. And that's not a word we use very often. Love uh, doesn't, uh, how, how, how can I say it? Love doesn't make a scene. Now, it doesn't mean you don't hold hands or you're not, you're not affectionate. That's not what it's talking about. It says that love doesn't make this circumstance all about me. If there's a, if there's a, a, a conflict, it doesn't act unbecomingly. Don't make a scene out in public. Hey, we'll, we'll, 
We'll discuss this when we get home. We'll discuss it another time. And, and it's not unbecoming. It's not a hateful discussion. It's not a hurtful discussion. It's a, it's a uh, how can we understand one another. It doesn't act unbecomingly. Now, that, that's, that's true of relationships. That's true inside the church. Uh, love just doesn't make a scene in order to get its way. When you act unbecoming, when, 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 when you go off, when you show out, when you act a fool, you're going to make me act a fool up in here. It's not love. That's manipulation. Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to give in so, so you don't make a scene. I'm going to give in because I don't want you to, to act a fool. I, I'm going to give in because I don't want you to, I'm, I'm going to give you your way. That, that's not love. That's manipulation. Love doesn't act unbecoming. Does not seek its own. Love is about others, not about me. Love is about your good, not always my good. Love looks at the needs of others above our own needs. Love does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Not easily provoked would be a way of saying it. It's, it's not something you have to earn. Love is not provoked. You can't provoke someone into love. Love is a choice. And so you shouldn't have to earn somebody's love. You shouldn't have to earn somebody's respect. To turn that around, people shouldn't have to earn your love either. It's not provoked. It's a choice you make. I'm going to love you because God loved me. I'm going to look for your good because God is always concerned about my good. I'm going to be patient with you because God is so patient with me. I'm not going to manipulate you because God doesn't manipulate me. Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. I'm going to tell you as a teenager, my, my thing was, okay, three strikes. It's one. There's a story of a guy who, him and his wife were going to town in a wagon. He had two mules riding down the road, and one of the mules started acting up, started not wanting to follow directions. He said, that's one. Went down the road a little bit further, and he got to flopping around, acting, wasn't doing what he's supposed to, and he said, that's two. Went on down the road a little bit further, and you know how mules are, they just hard-headed, and he just kept acting up. He acted up one more time, farmer pulled out a pistol, shot the mule, killed it. Wife looked at him and said, what in the world are you doing? Why did you do that? One. <laughs> That's not love. That's manipulation, Okay. Love doesn't keep account of the things that are wrong. Love doesn't keep bringing up all those things that happened in the past. That's manipulation. God never said we're to forgive and forget. He just said forgive and don't bring it up no more. You're not going to forget it. 
But what you can do is choose not to keep throwing it in their face. What you can do is choose to say, hey, I have forgiven that. That was 10 years ago. They ain't got nothing to do with what's going on right now, so I'm not even going to bring that up. Love doesn't count. Love doesn't take a, a, a toll, a, a keep a list of the wrongs that have been suffered. Man, that's, that's hard. But I, I want you to hear today that God doesn't keep account of the wrongs that you've done to Him. Yes, we are sinners. And without His gift of grace and without his salvation we are condemned in our sin but it's not because God's keeping account it's just because you sinned one or ten million it doesn't matter you sinned you broke his holy law and you are under condemnation he sent his son to remove that condemnation if you will just simply submit your heart and your life to him he wants to take that count away he wants to take that sin away. He wants to take that condemnation away. That's his heart. That's his desire. He says in Isaiah or in Jeremiah, do I get any pleasure from the death of the wicked? No. Oh, but he would repent and live. That's why Jesus said that, that when he was talking about the, the, the seeking the one, that, that when one comes to salvation, when one comes to repentance, there is rejoicing in all of heaven. Because God gets excited about repentance. God doesn't get excited about the, the sin count. He gets excited about the cleansing of the sin. And when we love people like God loved us, we don't keep that count. Now, if somebody keeps treating you bad, yeah, you, 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 you love them, but you be smart. He doesn't say that we've got to be foolish. If you know somebody is a chronic liar, can't believe everything they say. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Try. But don't stake your life on what they're telling you. That's just foolish. But you give them the opportunity. They might be telling the truth this time. We're going to see. Love. does not take into account a wrong suffered. Now those are the things that love is. Now, here's a couple of things, or, that, or one thing that, that love is not. Number six, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. In other words, love does not get joy in unrighteousness. Love does not celebrate unrighteousness. Now, what does that mean? You can love somebody and not celebrate the things they're doing. Doesn't find any joy in unrighteousness. See, the world today says, if you love me, then you'll love everything I do. You'll love whatever I think. You'll be okay with everything. It, it, love is equated with complete acceptance. And that's not true. God loves you. Absolutely. True statement. God loves you so much he died for you. But God, because God loves you, he will not allow you to continue in your sin. 
He calls sin, sin. Love does not mean absolute acceptance. Unfailing love just simply means that I'm going to love you even when you're not acting right. I'm going to love you when you're doing things that are not right. But I will not celebrate what you're doing. See, the world today, it says, today, if you, well, if you love me, you'd celebrate everything about me. No, I can't celebrate unrighteousness. Love does not celebrate unrighteousness. Love rejoices with truth. This is, this is the number one rub in our culture today. If you don't accept me for who I am and you don't count my way of loving somebody, my version of love, if you don't accept it, then you're a bigot, you're a hate monger, or you're a racist or whatever. God says love doesn't celebrate unrighteousness. We're to love unconditionally. Their unrighteousness can't stop me from loving them. But because I love them, I cannot stand, I cannot, I cannot agree with, I cannot celebrate what is keeping them from God. We're to speak the truth in love. We celebrate in truth. We rejoice in truth. And so, so when, we, when we live our lives in love and we respond to the love that God has shown us by loving other people, we love them even while they're sinners, even while they're living lives that don't honor God, even when they're participating in things that God calls an abomination, even when they're in their addictions, even when they're in their brokenness, even when they're running from God, we love them and we try to demonstrate that love. We're patient, we're kind. We try and show them the, the love that we've received from God but we cannot celebrate what they're doing. Love doesn't celebrate unrighteousness. And the world will tell you, well, God's love, and all it's, all, as long as I love somebody, no, God set the parameters of what love is and the proper expression of love. That includes our sexuality, that includes marriage, that includes how we treat people in relationships, all of it. Premarital sex, extramarital sex, all of it. God sets the parameters. Why? Because He is God. He is the perfect expression of love. And, and we have to love like He loves. And we can't celebrate in our own life or in somebody else's life the unrighteousness that they're participating in. I can love you, but I can't agree with you. I can love you, but I can't celebrate what's happening because I know it's leading you straight to hell leading you away from God instead of to God. I'm not judging you. I'm just simply telling you what God has already judged to be sin. That includes in my life and in your life. So love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. Uh, love doesn't count uh, wrongs. L love doesn't keep a checklist. All those things we talked about. But love does not celebrate wickedness. That's not love. Oh, I love my kids. I can't tell them they can't play in the road. 
Well, if you love them, you're going to try and keep them out of the road because you know there's a car coming eventually. I love my kid, and man, they just like playing with fire, you know. I just I got to support them in that. No, if you love them, you're going to try and keep them from burning the house down and burning a life down and, and, and getting burned up themselves. So if we're going to, if we're going to live this surpassing righteousness, if we're going to live this life motivated by love, we've got to have a proper definition of what love looks like. And am I patient with, the, with people? Am I kind towards people and not arrogant, not hateful, not jealous, um, not, not seeking after my own? Do I try to manipulate people with affections? Uh, all of these things that I've got to be careful of, but i also got to understand that love doesn't celebrate unrighteousness in myself or in anyone else. Love rejoices in the truth, finds joy in the truth, finds joy when my life lines up with truth, when other people's lives line up with truth, because that's what God desires for them. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things, and endures all things. The, the, the key there are those four things. It bears, it believes, it hopes, and it endures. bears all things, good, bad, and ugly. In a marriage, you better be able to bear the good, bad, and the ugly because you love God and you love that person. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to walk through life with them in their shortcomings, their hang-ups, their brokenness, their mess, their failures. I'm going to bear it. I'm going to help them carry the load. That's what it means to bear Believes all things. I'm going to believe that God can do everything. That I'm going to believe that, that there is nothing, that, that no relationship, no circumstance, no life that God can't redeem. I'm going to believe everything about the truth and I'm going to live in that truth. That's what it means to believe all things. Not to believe every lie of the devil. That's not what it's talking about. Believing the truth and all of the truth. Love hopes. In all things. That no matter how difficult this marriage gets. No matter how difficult this relationship with my kids are. No matter how difficult my life gets. No matter uh, what happens in the circumstances of life. I will have a living hope that carries me through. Love hopes in all things. Because it's grounded in the faithfulness and the love that God has for me. So I can have hope no matter what. No matter how bad it gets. My wife cheats on me. I can still have hope that our relationship. My children go astray and make poor choices. I can have hope that God can deliver them and bring them back. I can, I can have hope in everything because I serve a God. I am loved by a God who can do all things. That's what Peter says when he says we have a living hope. And we have hope in all things because we are loved by the creator of the universe. And so in this relationship, I can love because there is always hope that God can deliver. Love endures all things. Then he sums it up, three beautiful words, love never fails. Doesn't mean that love never stumbles. Doesn't mean that love always gets everything perfect. But love always repents. Love always gives forgiveness. Love 
never fails. Because it is the characteristic of God. It's the glory of God in our lives. It's the truest reflection of God's love for us when we love other people this way. So it goes back to the, the gifts. So that if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will, be, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. Just like when I was a child, I spoke as a child and thought as a child. And reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, things were different. I put away childish things. For now I see in a mirror dimly, but then I see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. He said, look, there's coming a time when all these gifts that you're arguing about, all these things that you're arguing about are going to be done away with. He said, right now there are basically three things. We've got um, faith, hope, and love. Everything, all this stuff that, that we're talking about, this relationship with God, this spiritual life that we live is characterized by three things, faith, hope, and love. So the greatest of these is love. Why? Because love will never fail. When Jesus comes back and we stand before the Father, I won't need faith anymore. I'll be experiencing exactly what my faith has been in. Perfect, undeniable, unalterable, worshiping of God face to face. Hope. I won't need hope anymore. It'll be a reality. I won't be looking forward. I won't have to have a confident expectation that it's going to happen. It'll be happening. But I will always love. And the longer I'm in the presence of my Father, the longer I walk with Him on this earth, the more I will love Him. The more I am in heaven, the longer I am in heaven, the more I will love Him. The more I walk with God, the more I will love you. The more I walk with God, I'll love my wife. The more I walk with God, I'll love the people that are hard to love. Why? Because love never fails. So if you're wanting, if you're desiring to have this surpassing righteousness that we've talked about, if you, if you want to, to live a life that honors God, don't focus on the do's and the don'ts. The only thing that's going to do is produce one of two things, depression or arrogance. It's only two things that produces. i got to do right, i got to do right, i got to stop doing, i got to stop doing. And if that's all I'm focused on, I'll get depressed because I'm never going to make it. Or I'll get arrogant because I think i got it figured out. Focus on love. Love God. Learn more about the love of God for you. Then reciprocate that love to Him. Because the more you know Him, the more you love Him, the more you're going to want to obey Him, the more you're going to want to glorify Him, the more you're going to want to please Him. And then just simply show the love that God's given you to other people. Love God, love others. And it will produce these things in your life. So don't think you've got a doing problem. It's a loving problem. If you haven't been saved, it's not a doing problem. It's a loving problem. You don't understand how much God loves you. How much God wants you to experience this love relationship He has for you. Surrender your heart and your life to Him. God is love. And He wants to show you 
what true love is and then teach you how to live that love towards other people. And man, what an impact for eternity you'll have. But it begins, it's sustained, and it's completed through love. Let's stand.